And the world said, hey, it's a brand new day. You're listening to the Elevate Your 8 podcast, the easily digestible lifestyle show that empowers you to live your happiest, most productive life so you can achieve time freedom. Productivity is just a matter of simple mathematics and prioritization. Honor your work-life balance by working only eight hours a day. Honor your health and wellness by sleeping eight hours every night. Once you figure that out, the rest is gravy, or Jolly Ranchers if ever you prefer. If you're ready for a healthy helping of life-changing wisdom with a side of quirkiness, you're in the right place. Here's your host, dairy-free, karaoke-crazy, future 200 breaststroke national champion, Chris McPeak. Hey, elevators. Welcome to season two of Elevate Your Age, which is sort of a little strange because season one was like 18 months or something like that. But uh, I didn't really, I didn't really know that I wanted to take the show in a different direction until, until I knew. What can I say? It's sort of like falling in love. Like you just know, right? So how about that new intro? Was it not kick ass or what? That uh, entire bit was performed, spoken, written, produced, the entire thing by my friend and one of the coaches for my swim team. His name is Chris Corral. He can do all of that and more, and he's really, really good and really, really affordable. So if you need music for whatever reason, you can look for his details in my show notes. I'm going to promote him far and wide because I'm so pleased with how my new intro turned out. Chris is writing a handful of other new stuff for me, and it's all original stuff, and I'm just really, really happy to have it. So... Chris, season two is dedicated to you, my friend. Thank you so much for my new musical interludes. So Elevate Your Eight, as it exists in season one, was really all about maximizing the eight hours when you weren't sleeping and when you weren't working. And as I continue to interview really amazing guests and dig deeper into what this sort of lifestyle because it's really not a method it's a lifestyle um what this lifestyle meant it occurred to me that we really should talk more about just how you maximize your time when you're not working and when you're not sleeping part of what it means to be able to spend eight hours at your day job also means that you are working in a field that is aligned with your mission and your values and that you're doing the kind of meaningful work where you're using your talents and the things that you're best suited to perform. So Elevate Your Eight will now get into the concept of careers and how you figure out whether or not you're in the field where you belong and if you're not how you break out of it and make sense and manifest or create the job that will give you this time freedom that will allow you to elevate your eight so we'll be elevating our eight at the workplace we'll be elevating our sleeping eight and we'll be elevating all of the rest of it and that my friends is what season two is going to be all about 
I figured that the perfect topic for season two to kick off is talking a bit about side hustles and your day job because that is what I have just finished writing about my third book called The 9 to 5 Side Hustler, A Guide to Balancing Your Day Job with Your Small Business, launched yesterday, August the 4th. And you can still pick that up and help keep me in the bestseller status. And I'll put links to the book in the show notes. I'm really proud of this production and I had a lot of fun writing it. So if you're somebody who in the frame of elevating your eight is considering starting a small business or whether you already have one, I think that my book will be really helpful in getting you to make sense of it all and feel like you are elevating all of the eights within the 24, within the 168. So my guest today is Nick Loper, who's the founder of Side Hustle Nation. I first discovered Nick through his podcast, The Side Hustle Show, and I read his book and I've kept up with all of his online um, online escapades, if you will, in launching a business and encouraging other people to do so and how are the best ways to dig in. So Nick was so gracious to come on the show with um, a very limited amount of notice and we had a really great conversation about all things side hustle and he has some great stories to tell about how he created the business that is now his full-time endeavor so without any further ado here is my interview with nick loper of side hustle nation Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Elevate Your A podcast. I'm your host, Chris McPeak, and I'm super excited to have Nick Loper, founder of Side Hustle Nation, on the show today. Nick is one of the people that I started listening to and following when I was beginning to start my own side hustle. So it's a real honor to have him on the show today in the wake of my book launching. So Nick, thank you so much for carving time for me today. Well, thanks so much for tuning in. Again, congrats on this book launch. This is exciting stuff. Thanks. I'm really, I'm really thrilled about it. Um, well, let's just go back to the beginning. How did you first become so passionate about the side hustle? And what was your day job before you started your first side hustle? Oh, my goodness. So I was working corporate for Ford, where I was a um, you know, factory rep to their dealerships on uh, the service and parts side of the business. Oh, wow. Is fascinating business. You know, some of these guys that I would go call on, you know, were fourth generation dealers, you know, they had their franchises signed by Henry Ford. Like it was really cool um, as a 22, 23 year old to like go in and, you know, try and try and sell some stuff to what are arguably probably the best salespeople in the world. Um, So that was, that was the, uh, that was the day job. The side hustle, the original side hustle was uh, selling shoes online. It was a uh, comparison shopping site. Uh, oh, for wow. bargain hunters, right? We're pulling the catalogs from Zappos and Amazon and all these other uh, footwear retailers and tell you where you can find uh, the best price on uh, on your next pair of shoes. And uh, we collect an affiliate commission on every order that was generated uh, through the site. So how did you find that? It was actually through an internship uh, that I had in college oh, with wow. this uh, company in Seattle that um, was, you know, a uh, again, family-owned uh, brick-and-mortar shoe store that in the early days of the internet had the wild and crazy idea of, well, why don't we put up some of this backroom inventory uh, on the internet and see if see what happens? And of course, by the time I came on board as their uh, you know, marketing intern, right. uh, the online portion of their business had grown leaps and bounds uh, faster than their you know, single location brick-and-mortar spot. So um, that was my first exposure to 
uh, pay-per-click advertising and e-commerce and affiliate marketing and SEO and all that stuff. It was really cool to kind of be, uh, be in on the ground floor of all that stuff. Yeah, that is pretty exciting. So then obviously you branched out at some point. So like what were some of the stepping stones that you took to get, you know, where you are right now? I mean, the biggest thing was, um, so three years of nights and weekends was um, side hustling, trying to build up this uh, the shoe business. Quit my job in 2008 to, uh, to become a full-time uh, online shoe salesman. That uh, at the time, I naively thought like this, this could be my thing. Like, yeah, I, this is it, right. I can just do this, you know. Um, I have since learned that, you know, every, uh, every business is, uh, has a somewhat finite lifespan and over the course of the next uh, eight or I guess six years from that point, um, the, uh, the timeline was up for that business and it kind of was on this, this slow, steady decline where um, I was really grateful to have started a bunch of other side projects during that time. Okay. Most of which were horrible flops, didn't go anywhere. <laughs> um, but a couple are still around today, including uh, the Side Hustle Nation blog and the Side Hustle Show podcast. So again, it was, it was part of this diversification play, side hustles on side hustles, and was really glad I had that stuff to fall back on as the, as the shoe business kind of uh, went riding off into the sunset. Yeah. So did the the whole market tank of 2008, did that impact you in any way? Um, or were you kind of in between? I just hit publish on like recession-proof businesses. So 2009 ended up being the best year in that business. Wow. I think people were like looking to save money. And so it, was, it, it ended up working out. Um, it was more related to, so that business played in the margin between the cost of traffic, never got any love uh, from Google organic search or SEO. It was all like paid, tra- had to pay for every click and uh, wow. what that traffic was worth on uh, the flip side uh, in terms of average affiliate commissions. And so over the years, like as more and more people started advertising, good on Google to set their system up as an auction. So we keep outbidding each other. Right. Um, and so those margins got narrower and narrower. Wow. That's some fascinating stuff. Um, Okay, so what did you learn about balancing a day job with the side hustle as you were kind of making your way through the journey? I mean, the biggest thing for me was uh, to make a consistent effort. And I was really probably had the unfair advantage of having started this um, in a long distance relationship. So I had lots of evenings uh, to myself. Uh, I had moved to the other side of the country. So I didn't have a lot of friends outside of the office. Okay. And, and had no kids at that time. So those three things that I don't have today definitely added up to a lot more uh, extra hours. So for me, it was pretty consistently like uh, get home from work, go to the gym, you know, have dinner, clean up. And then from like seven or eight until 10 was like side hustle time. Um, yeah. it, was, it was pretty consistent kind of like just trying to get this thing uh, off the ground. That's perfect. Um, so what advice would you give to somebody who might not have the, the, um, the fortune of having, you know, a three hour empty time every day to themselves to, you know, rock a side hustle. Yeah. The biggest thing, um, so is that consistency element. So whether that's 10 minutes a day, whether that's an hour a day, I think you can find that time. I think an hour a day is like 4% of your, of your day. Like it's not, it's not that big of a sliver. I imagine you could find that in, uh, in the gaps in your schedule, even though I've definitely been there where it's like, dude, I did not have a spare moment today. I don't know where I would carve out this time. What um, one, uh, another person recommended to me was like, you have the most control over what he called the bookends of your day, mm-hmm. meaning um, first thing in the morning or last thing before bed. Yeah. Because in the middle of the day, just kind of you're in 
putting out fires mode, you're in reactive mode, responding to other people's agendas a lot of the time. Right. If you can carve out even just a half an hour first thing in the morning or you know, right before bed to just just move the ball forward a little bit. Doesn't have to be a lot. Check that box and say, okay, I made some progress today. Yeah, totally. I start, I get up really early. So it, for me, it all started in the morning uh, with the morning routine. And you're right. The consistency is, is super important, especially if you're trying to build on something, um, figuring out like these are the days of the week that make the most sense for me to work on um, my email list. And these are the best days of the week that make sense to work on social media. And, and yeah, so when you build on that, then the rest of it is is gravy, really. Well, tell me about the, the book project, because this is a classic example. Like in several years ago, I would have on my to-do list, like write book. And <laughs> you know, it would just sit there for weeks and months at a time. Because like, what, what am I ever going to have a, you know, 100 hour block of time to sit down yeah. and knock this out? It doesn't exist. So I'm curious, like, what was your, what was your writing schedule like? I started writing at lunch most of the time because we have uh, at the day job, we have this beautiful break room that's set up sort of like a, a really big kitchen. So there's a couple of refrigerators and um, lots of table space. And then there's some couches too. So I would just pull my work laptop in there, my personal laptop, put that in there and, um, and just go to town on whatever was on my mind that day. And the whole like, the sticky notes that indicate every section of the book I wanted to write on. So I would just look at the sticky note, like what's calling to me today and sit okay. down and try to write that and do the whole, like, you know, I'm going to set a timer. I'm going to write for 20 minutes straight. Even if what I'm writing is crap, I can go back and fix that later. Just as long as I was writing something. And again, with, you know, with writing too, it's like the consistency is the most important part because you don't train for a marathon by running, you know, 15 miles every weekend, you train for a marathon running, you know, two and three and four days a week building on that. And I, you write a book the same way. So if yeah. you're writing, you know, 500 words a day and you're doing that consistently, then the rest of it just feels really comfortable after a while. So that's what I did. I wrote at lunchtime um, until it made more sense for me to write during other times. And then I would do in the morning or I would do after work or whatever made the most sense. But I would say like before, I sat down to put the meditation tape on to go to sleep. I need to at least have a thousand words in the, in the box. So. Okay. Yeah. A thousand words a day have it. And it, it starts to add up pretty fast. Yeah, it does. Lunch hour sessions where they're just like uh, headphones on, like don't bother me, like your coworkers coming in and stuff. Yeah, no, I just, I sit on the couch. Like I have my, my, I have my, my special place that I go every day and, and everybody okay. just sort of has their section. Like we all know, um, the second floor of the building I work in is, is my area and there's only seven of us. So we have okay. a great deal of space, but the child development center is below. So the teachers will come up upstairs and take their breaks and their breaks are much shorter. Like they can take 15, 20 minutes at a time. I have a whole hour. So okay. I'm the one person that's in that room for that whole hour. Um, and when I come in, there's a certain group of people there and they'll shuffle out and a new group will shuffle in, but I'm still there in my one spot and it totally makes sense. So okay. it's uh, nice and clean. I appreciate um, you sharing that. I like that. Oh yeah, no problem. Habit, you know, 500 words a day, a thousand words a day, because yeah. there's never going to be time to write, I don't know how long the book ended up being, but 40,000 words, 25,000 yeah. words. It's like, nope, I'm going to have to chip away at this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So everybody stumbles a little bit when they start a side hustle. So what was your biggest lesson learned as you navigated through all your different businesses? Oh my gosh. So for me, this was, this was incredibly nerve wracking. On my first day of uh, being a full-time 
uh, entrepreneur. Um, again, like I said, the site was very reliant on uh, Google paid traffic mm-hmm. on, uh, on day one. I've got, you know, visions of four hour work week and margaritas on the beach and stuff. Right. Uh, they uh, shut down my account. They say, Nick, you uh, no longer meet our quality guidelines. We can't let you advertise anymore. Oh no. I was like, you, like wait what you, know, you go through like <laughs> anger and denial and like, right <laughs> you, you couldn't you couldn't have told me like any other day for the last two years it had to be today oh my god like, i just turned in the keys to my company car like what i was relying you know i was banking on this income um it was a very uh, it was a very stressful summer uh, trying to figure out how to get back in uh, in their good graces and um ultimately you know after a bunch of changes to the site and kind of the internal linking structure without getting too technical they came back and said looks like we made an error you're good to go and just like that it was like floodgates were back open wow it was a it was a very stressful time like i still had hair at that time it was a very stressful (laughs) summer it it kind of taught me i guess number one the importance of diversification like i thought i was diversified because i had you know 25 or 30 different advertisers on the site yeah Um, but you peel that back a layer. It's like, well, where does all the traffic come from? 80% of it came from this uh, this single traffic source. So it's pretty fragile there. Um, and then the other thing that has kind of, uh, that I've kind of learned since then is that everything is temporary. It's like, yeah, that sucked. That was awful, but it was temporary. You figure out a way to get through it. Same thing with the, you know, the zooming out to the business as a whole. It was, right. well, it lasted, but it was temporary. I mean, same thing right now with, um, with Side Hustle Nation. I go through periods where Google loves me. I go through periods where Google likes me a little bit less. It's like, okay, breathe through it. It feels like you got punched in the gut, but it's temporary. Yeah. How, to get, uh, how to get past it. So what, what do you do to, to push through? Like on the days where you're like, oh my gosh, like no one's finding my stuff. And then what, like, how do you keep it moving? Uh, for me, what was really motivating in the early days was the little fledging fledgling bits of uh, audience engagement that I did have was like, Oh, somebody left me a comment. Oh, somebody emailed me. And when people would join the email list, I would send them like a personal message. Like I did this for the first probably like 10 or 20,000 subscribers. Oh, like, wow. Hey, thanks for, thanks for signing up. Um, we, you know, what are you, what are you working on? <laughs> Just to try to like show like, Hey, this is a real, this is a real That's person. Great. This is a real thing. Um, and then, what's motivating now is people coming back and saying, Hey, I, I found your podcast. I listened to episode, whatever, or I've been listening for years. Uh, I took action on this particular idea. And, and these are the results that I'm seeing. Like now I'm making an extra thousand bucks a month or something, or now I quit my job. And it's like, that to me is like, that's incredible. It's like, yeah, most that's people you'll never gold. Hear like it's very right. anonymous. And so it's really cool when people reach out and, and share that kind of stuff. I can't remember who the guest was that you had, but it was something about how to set up a paid mastermind. And I listened to that episode and I did, I started my first mastermind group from that okay. episode. Um, my gosh, was, it wasn't Amy, was it Amy Porterfield? I think it was Natalie Ekdahl from Yes, uh, yes, from BizChicks, right. So uh, yeah, and I did, I had a really good run of three months with the paid mastermind group. It was small, um, but yeah, I that episode was like, okay, let's do this. This is, seems easy enough. Yeah. So let's roll with it. So yeah, the cool stuff. Oh my gosh, this is so fun. Um, okay. For people who might be considering a side hustle, but don't know where to start, what might be some profitable, easy suggestions to consider? 
easy, profitable suggestions? Well, it, uh, it all depends on where you want to go and what you can see yourself uh, enjoying doing. Yeah. Um, I would probably caution against like, well, this is what I'm passionate about because to me, that's a stressful question. Like, what am I passionate about? I don't know. I have found, um, and some researchers have found this as well, is like passion tends to follow doing the work. Like I, I painted houses in college and uh-huh. was not passionate about painting, didn't know anything about painting. But after a couple summers, you can't help yourself but like looking up under the eaves right. and like that is a paint job waiting to happen. You know, you get a, you learn you learn to love it. Same thing with podcasting. It's like mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was doing, but became passionate about it uh, over the years. So, that being said, um, you you'll probably want to consider one of three business models when you're starting out: okay. selling a service, selling a product, or building some type of audience-based business. And the advantage of the audience-based business is you have ultimately more flexibility. It can be more time leveraged, but it takes a little bit more time to ramp up. This would be creating podcast content, YouTube content, blog content, mm-hmm. right? Lots of fun, uh, very cool creative outlet um, and, and really rewarding work, but not something to start if you're looking to bring the cash register uh, immediately. Right. Uh, so if you're, if you're in that boat of like, hey, how do I make money quickly? I would go with the service-based business. That could be freelancing, that could be consulting, that could be mowing lawns, that could be babysitting, could be whatever. Um, and then the product-based business, there's a bunch of nuance uh, underneath there where a lot of people start out in the side hustle space is just flipping, basically buying low, yeah. selling high, selling stuff on eBay, selling stuff mm-hmm. on Facebook Marketplace, offer up. Um, getting creative on how you source inventory. Maybe that's like a consignment uh, deal in your neighborhood. Like, look, listing this stuff is a pain. You got to take pictures. You got to deal with the back and forth with buyers. Look, I'll do all that for you. And it'll just take a fee. I'll just take a percentage of whatever yeah. it ends up selling for. So uh, I think there's lots of opportunities both in that uh, freelance uh, service-based space and then the, the product space. Yeah. Oh, I remember selling on eBay back in the day where it, we there weren't iPhones yet. So you had to use a digital camera and then you had to transfer the camera pictures over to the computer and then you had to upload them to eBay. And, and now it's, you know, they pull directly from your phone and it's so, yeah. it's so easy. It's so simple. Um, I'm thinking quickly about the concept of, um, I mean, would you consider like Uber and Lyft and Postmates and Instacart, would you consider that a service based industry? Yeah, I think so. So what we didn't touch on was this entire realm of uh, gig economy yeah. type of apps, the Ubers, DoorDashes, Postmates of the world, absolutely viable options and, and actually can be a really quick way to make extra money, right? It's it's plug and play in a, in a lot yeah. of cases. Um, the downside to those is it's a skill that almost everybody has. And so mm-hmm. that puts a natural downward pressure on your earning power. Yeah. Whereas if you have something that is unique to you, or at least is the is perceived to be unique to you, I think you can command uh, better rates. Yeah, um, absolutely. Like realistically, um, although during the the peak of of COVID, my my Instacart contact said he was making Bank. insane money. Yeah, right. I bet. <laughs> And Postmates oh. and all of those, I think, probably kind of went through the roof. I think they were doing well. I think they have since onboarded about a quarter million new drivers. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So the supply has increased a little bit by now. Yeah. Oh, I'm, my husband drove Uber for a while, and it seemed pretty lucrative in the beginning. And then the minute that they kind of turned to that whole pool thing, um, yeah. 
where, and it wasn't, it even seemed so much that more drivers were adding themselves into the mix. It just seemed like they were pulling back from like the single rider type thing. And um, it was right around that time that the car he was using had an accident (laughs) and uh, they don't let you use rental cars for those businesses. So he was like, okay, I think I'm done with this, but it it was fun for a while for him. Anyway, he had some, some good nights. Um, In your opinion, why is taking on a side hustle so satisfying? Well, lots of, lots of reasons Um, for, uh, I'll give you a couple. Um, one is, uh, this is Tony Robbins says, the secret to happiness, his one word secret to happiness was progress. And so for me, a side hustle can be uh, a way to make progress on something that you care about mm-hmm. that uh, that maybe you don't get at your day job. Maybe that's, you know, uh, you know, just trying to give yourself a little bit of financial breathing room, or maybe it's, you know, exercising your creativity in some way. Yeah. But the sense of progress has been really, really powerful uh, for me. And I was always the kid who would like, you know, I want to, I want to play the video games where you could like save your game and like level up your character. Right. Like, hey, yeah. <laughs> even though this is totally meaningless, like I feel like I'm making some progress. Um, the second thing comes from Dan Pink and it's a book called Drive, where he talks about autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And so a side hustle can let you exercise those things, especially if you're not getting them at your day job. Like, hey, autonomy, this is something that's, that's all me, something that yep. I have control over. I get to call the shots. I can be working towards mastery. Like if I'm starting, in my case, I'm starting a podcast. I definitely am not a master early on. I'm still working toward that. So it kind of doubles on that sense of progress. And then the sense of purpose is like, what is the, uh, you know, proverbial dent I'm making in the universe? What is the impact that I'm having on other people? Talked about how motivating and how empowering it can be to hear from audience members. And I think that is something that drives a lot of people. It's like, I hear from my customers all the time that they, you know, are super grateful for, you know, whatever service it was that I provided. They love this product. I think that type of sense of greater purpose, the people that you serve uh, can be a big tract, a big factor as well. That's beautiful. Uh, I need to pick that book up. It's one of those that keeps popping into my like people who bought your book also bought this kind of thing. And so his book keeps popping up. So that must yeah, be I a sign. He's got, uh, I want to say he's got a TED talk on it. That's like Does he? You know, the 18 minute version of it. <laughs> right. Super cool. Okay. Let's do some rapid fire. This is one of my fun new things to do. Okay. Um, would you rather drink a Coke or a Pepsi? Um, always Diet Coke for me. And yes. uh, and usually with um, with Jack. <laughs> I can't, oh, okay. Can't remember how to, I remember <laughs> I had a, a Coke uh, without uh, a mixer in a, in a long right. time. Right. Um, so red wine or white wine? Uh, red wine. Um, white donuts. Wine, like white wine is so good, but it, it's because it's chilled. I would drink it way too fast. Okay, fair enough. That's a really good point. Um, donuts or cupcakes? Donuts. Would you rather swim in? The ocean or rather swim in a pool? Uh, pool. Okay. Um, okay, Ocean, so... Oceans are fun too, though. <laughs> I love beaches. I'm not an open water swimmer. I'm a pool swimmer, but my husband does both. Yeah. Um, okay, so you're bo- you're, we're both podcasters, but if you had a choice between listening to a podcast and an audiobook, which would you pick? A uh, podcast. If you could only listen to one song for the rest of your life, what song would it be? Oh my gosh, one song? Um, I don't even know. A song that uh, will never die for you. Never die. Um, 
the one, the first one that comes to mind is uh, Better Together from Jack Johnson. Cool. And who, in your opinion, was the very best Batman? The very best. I, haven't, I don't think I've seen any Batman movies. Oh, um, man, you're breaking my heart. <laughs> who's a Christian? I did see one with uh, Christian Bale and Heath Ledger. So that's, that's all yeah. I've got to go on. That's a good answer. Okay, cool. Um, Nick, where can everybody find you online if they want to connect with you? Uh, SideHustleNation.com. Um, if you SideHustleNation.com slash ideas, that's a good place to start if you are looking for a side hustle. Otherwise, um, SideHustleNation.com is the home base. Of course, would love to have you tune into the podcast wherever fine uh, podcasts are sold. Rock on. Uh, we have been talking to Nick Loper of Side Hustle Nation. Thank you again so much for being on Elevate Your Eight today.